We're live and on the spot. You're listening to Blue Yonder with your hosts, Jim Jones, Peter Street, and introducing Aaron Hubbard. This week, uh, unfortunately, we're going to be short not one, but two cast members on this week's Blue Yonder. Um, just going to be Peter Street today, and uh, casting here in my undershorts. And basically, I am sad to report that I am alone on a desert island. Uh, the reason that it's just me is because I'm the only survivor of a plane crash um, that actually took the lives of Jim Jones and Peter Street. Um, actually had to, uh, it was a fairly disgusting experience, in fact. I had to crawl out of the hole in uh, Jim Jones' chest in order to save my life. And I'm currently tanning his hide in the sun so that I can make some clothes for myself. Um, hopefully, I will find some rescue, but strange things are starting to happen. Um, at night, the trees are blowing the wind, and uh, here what sounds like a T-Rex, but looks like a big cloud of black smoke. So, I don't know what exactly is going on, but maybe I'll find out in six years. Okay, so, this week topic is going to be focused in and around Desert Island Gaming. What exactly you, as the listener, would you want to take with you onto a desert island? What would it be that would be the top seven games that you would want to actually take with you um, if the worst happened and you were lost? Uh on a desert island. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly break down the rules for this, because there are some. Um, first of all, you're going to be assumed to have unlimited amounts of electricity on this island. So there is not going to be any barrier between you and, you know, you're being able to power your favorite console, computer, um, or even portable system, if you so choose. Secondly, um, one thing will be not allowed. Unfortunately for me, um, this, is, this is kind of a big deal uh, since several of my favorite games require this, but you are not allowed to have internet access on this desert island. Um, you're, in fact, going to be experiencing the best of single-player gaming um, as far as um, 
as far as you can take it, because you're the sole survivor, just as I am here for this week's podcast. So, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and list for you my top seven for this week's discussion. Um, First of all, I guess it's more traditional to start from the last. So I'm going to go ahead and start with number seven. And just a brief side note also, uh, when it comes to the game selection, um, this is not a top seven favorite games list by any means. Um, The logic here is basically what is going to occupy and preoccupy my mind the longest and keep me relatively sane and challenged as a human being. Um, So I have picked these seven games strictly with kind of sanity and survival um, and trying to stave off boredom um, and self-cannibalism as long as possible. So uh, without further ado, let's crack this uh, silly nut coconut, I guess, open with number seven. And number seven on my uh, picks is going to be a game, a newer game, uh, called Dragon Age Origins. This game is um, definitely on the list due to its length. Um, I have actually not even played it yet. That's another reason it's on the list if this were to happen. I would kind of want and prefer it to be a fresh adventure, um, but not necessarily. So, um, Primarily, this is on the list through the fact that there are multiple ways you can play through this game. So it's the replayability factor in addition to the length factor um, that would make this my seven of my top seven games that I would want on a desert island. Um, So if I'm deserted, I want to be able to wrap my head into a story, escape. It's all about escapism. And um, basically be able to do that multiple times and see an adventure play through in multiple ways. So I think um, Will Wheaton would uh, agree with me here. So on this pick, that's pretty much kind of all I really have to say about that. And at some point, I'd, you know, hopefully I don't get stranded on a, a deserted island can still play it. So uh, number six on the list is a similar game for similar reasons, but... Um, I've actually played this game significantly, but uh, it's going to be Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. Um, Elder Scrolls is a living, breathing world, and Oblivion um, also has Patrick Stewart in the beginning, so I would probably just play the opening scene over and over and over again and pretend that I was actually on the crew of the Enterprise and in a holodeck with Captain Picard. Um, and that would help me not start, you know, to think about killing myself. Um, that and the fact that it's just a fucking fun game, and it's another very lengthy adventure, but it's it's um, not nearly as scripted as Bioware games. Uh, Oblivion is made by Bethesda, and as most people know, if they know anything about their PC RPGs, Um, They're more of an open-ended role-playing game company. So they have these wide, vast worlds, and you're basically 
in more control of how you tackle their gaming world than, say, with Bioware. Bioware is very much, you know, very scripted events, you know. Um, not to say you don't have a lot of choice, but it's basically choice with character development and conversation choices, um, more so than it is exploration and uh, development in that way. So it'd be a nice little uh, two different types of really long PC role-playing games to start off the list this evening. Um, what else can really be said about uh, Elder Scrolls aside from the fact that, you know, beautiful graphics and, and it's uh, a hell of an escape. Um, after that, um, basically when it comes to Desert Island Gaming, I'm going to switch the script a little bit and go with a portable franchise. I'm going to talk about the latest, um, whatever at the time is the latest Pokemon game. I want that to be in my pocket when the plane goes down. Because collecting those little nefarious monstery demon things in my Pokeballs is one of the most addictive experiences ever. And I think one of the closest things that I've ever experienced to being stranded on a deserted island is to work in a cube farm doing technical support work um, for Dell. Um, that job sucks so much, and basically, um, it felt like I was deserted. It felt like I was in a little island, you know, paradise or hell, depending on the way you look at it. And uh, it definitely felt like I was trapped there when I had that job. So, um, one of the things that helped me get by was my ability to be able to play on my Nintendo DS the two years I had that position. And one of the staples was uh, Pokemon Diamond. I was able to actually not catch them all, because you really have to have a friend to trade with. And as the rules were stated uh, there at the outset of the cast, basically when it comes to this scenario, you're not going to have interaction with anyone else. You're totally alone. And even though that's the case, I still say Pokemon any of the games in the Pokemon series are strong picks for this situation um, because you're sure you're alone you're not going to have that collaborative uh, you know swap and trade kind of sensation with the game but nevertheless you're also going to be experiencing a very not only is it addictive but it's also very hard to catch all the ones you can catch even solo style I will say that with Pokemon Diamond, I was able to, within like the year that I played it, I was able to collect a substantial amount of Pokemon. In addition to that, I was able to catch every single legendary Pokemon in the game that you can get without having an event ticket or trading online. Um, and that took me hundreds of hours. Um, in addition, I didn't even finish collecting all of the ones that are possible uh, through random encounters and other things that change day in and day out. And since I wouldn't have access to the internet, I would be kind of discovering all of this as I, you know, sat there and played the game. I wouldn't be able to look at the guides that I looked at, you know, having internet access doing my tech support job. I would be totally alone, and in a way that would 
you know, make it feel like more of a realistic adventure collecting these pocket monsters. And it would be something that would extend the length of that game. I can't actually see which patch of grass I need to be at at 12 a.m. on a Friday. I just have to discover it over time. So that is basically why um, whatever the latest Pokemon game um, for a portable Nintendo console is at the time of the being stranded is what I want with me in my pocket. Okay, so that's my my first three. We're getting into some more broad picks here with number four, um, and that's going to be Little Big Planet. Little Big Planet is the perfect game to accompany you on a deserted island, and the reason being is this. It's very simple. It is an outlet for your creativity. Um, there are a lot of needs that we human beings have. Um, I'm not sure if the deserted island I'm going to be stranded on is going to be able to fulfill all of those needs for me, but one need that I have personally is to be able to have some kind of a creative outlet. Um, that's one of the reasons I host a Dungeons & Dragons game is because I'm able to invest a little bit of my time into creating something unique and then the thing though with Dungeons and Dragons is that's vital is being able to share that experience at the game table with others. Well, scrap all that. Here in our situation, there are no other people. They're all dead. You're eating their bodies to survive. And when it comes to being able to survive, create Creativity is definitely necessary for me. There needs to be an outlet there. And Little Big Planet's the perfect way to do it because you don't, even though that's a cool fun function and feature of the actual game, is being able to share these levels and these designs and ideas with other people, you're still able to play through it by yourself. You can't really do that with D&D unless you're kind of a special person, what I would call a special guy. I'm not that special. Um, no, I think I am pretty special. Um, I really don't see myself playing through any of my D&D adventures, you know, playing both the role of the DM, narrator, storyteller, judge, and simultaneously playing a PC, a player character. Um, I'm just not that into duality with my mind. So, um... Although I have played chess with myself and done podcasts by myself, so um, maybe I would. In a deserted island, I fucking probably would. But back on to topic here. Oh, Little Big Planet, I wouldn't need to necessarily compartmentalize two different personalities. I would just be able to be in designer mode when I'm creating the content using the um, tool set provided in Little Big Planet. And then when it comes time to play the game, I'm in player mode. I don't have to do both at the same time or switch back and forth quickly. I can be in one mode while I'm creating the game with the tool set. I can be in another mode when I'm playing through what I created. So, very, very cool game. And I think a must-have when you're alone on an island after you've been shipwrecked there, stranded. So, again, number four, 
Little Big Planet for my deserted island gaming. Um, moving on, um, getting into the meat, the potatoes, the Brussels sprouts, if you will. Well, maybe not the Brussels sprouts of the cast. Um, gonna go to a part three. And part three, or rather pick three on the top seven, is going to be an interesting game. And I'll let you guys think about it for a second. It's going to be Contra. Yes, Contra um, for a little gaming system known as the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. Why in the hell am I picking Contra? And the reason is, no, it's not because I just can't get by without inputting the Konami code every five seconds. I would not use the fucking Konami code. Ha-ha! Ta-dow, bitch! Um, what do you think about that? You know, that is, according to a lot of sources, one of the most challenging games of all time. And... One of the reasons people were actually even able to play it and enjoy it is because of the legendary, yes, it's on a lot of t-shirts, Konami code. And this is my challenge to myself. If I'm going to be on a deserted island for a length of time, I'm going to need to have some challenges to keep myself, you know, going, to keep, keep the hope alive, basically. If you don't challenge yourself, then you're going to wither up and die in the sun. And that's true of everyday life. So, one of my personal challenges on the island, aside from the struggle for daily food and water, is going to be actually beating the game Contra and using nothing but what the game gives me by default. Um, when it comes to you know, being able to challenge myself, I think that if I'm able to do something that's incredibly challenging, even in an environment of somewhat hopelessness, I would be able to hold my head up high and be able to look the next day, you know, right in the face. Because, you know, if I can be Contra without using any cheats all by myself, you know, that's pretty awesome. And I think given the time that I'm talking about having here, I would be able to achieve it. So, number third pick for this experience is going to be Contra. And let's see. I'm going to move on down the list a little bit here. And kind of change. I mean, this next game is going to be my number two pick. And it's definitely a difficult game. Um... It's definitely a game that will challenge me. It's also a lengthy game. And in addition to all these things, it's my number two pick for a reason that I'll discuss here briefly. First of all, number two on the list is going to be any Diablo game. That's right, any in the series. Hopefully three's out by the time I get shipwrecked and stranded on the deserted island. Um, but... Here is the deal. Um, and first of all, I want to make mention of this, since we're talking about a Blizzard game here. Um, 
recently, just a couple days ago as of this cast, Blizzard, the maker of the Diablo series, also World of Warcraft, which I play, and StarCraft II, um, and this, the entire, obviously, series of that um, franchise, has decided to do something kind of drastic. And, and since my number two game is, is a Blizzard game, I thought it would be a timely spot in the cast to mention um, this about Real ID. Real ID is a system of basically displaying real world names um, via a Battle.net service across multiple Blizzard titles. Um, the idea at first being that, you know, similar to, let's say, you know, an Xbox Live or uh, if you're online with your PlayStation 3 and you have, um, you're signed in and you have friends over the network, you can keep track of them and what they're playing. And even if you're not sharing the same gaming experience with them, you can see, and it's kind of like other systems too. I mean, Steam does this. They've done it probably the longest. Um, Steam, you can actually, you know, control tab, I believe, and see all of your friends on your friends list, what they're, what they're doing and what game that they're playing. And I think that's a very cool idea. At, at just at first, because what it allows you to do is foster a community that transcends the individual games that the community is playing, and it's like this overarching kind of dome, this web that binds friends together. You know, friends have a lot of similar experiences, but they're not always doing the same thing all the time. So. This is a way to allow communication across multiple platforms. I think that's an awesome idea. Um, so I do want to say that first. That part of it is cool, but here's the problem. Um, just recently, Blizzard has announced that what they're going to enact, um, supposedly in a couple of weeks, on the World of Warcraft forums, is that they're going to show your real ID whenever you make a post. Um, so that's basically going to be your actual first and last name. Um, and it's not an option. It will happen. Like when you post on the Blizzard forums, anything that deals with Battle.net, when you post on the forums about the game you're playing, it will show your first and last name. And there are a huge amount of problems with this. Um, it's an enormous uproar in the community um, because of privacy issues. Right now, if a Blizzard employee were to reveal someone's first and last name, they would be fired based on the, their terms. But they're going to change all that really soon and start handing out people's first and last names every time they post for the entire internet to see. Um, they're saying this isn't a problem, but one of their employees revealed his name and within the first few hours um, thousands of people on the internet knew his address, knew his family, uh, knew his phone number, 
um, knew his Facebook and were spamming and harassing him to pieces. Because the idea behind this is that, oh, if the, if if you're if you're actually displaying your real first and last name, then you won't be, you know, they have a lot of problem with trolls and people who act like dicks and assholes. So we're gonna we're gonna cut down their their story is that this will cut down on that. When in fact, what it really is going to do is give people that are trolls, that are, you know, potential psychopaths, a lot of tools that they can use in order to prey on the people that they don't really like. Or imagine worse things. Like, what if there's, you know, a pedophile sitting out there and they've, you know, they're in a guild with a sexy night elf hunter and they realize somehow that that night elf is being played by a 13-year-old girl who has the permission from their parents. And then he decides to look on the forums and sees that she's posted, has her first and last name, and then, you know, Googles her, and lo and behold, she's in the same neighborhood. Things can go downhill fast. So that's just one line of, of logic on why revealing people's personal information, especially their last name, um, just out to the world um, over the internet is just a bad idea. So, you know, I might not even be supporting Blizzard products by the time I get stranded on this island, um, but really if I can't even access the internet when I'm stranded, fuck it. I'll go ahead and put Diablo 3 <laughs> and it, really any of the Diablo games on my number two list. And um, there's a big reason for this. One of the the biggest reasons is because it randomly generates the game environment. Every time you play through this game, it reroutes the location and positioning of key places and event triggers and things like that. Um, Diablo 3, which is the game I'd prefer, is going to take it a step farther and reroute destructible terrain. It's going to have you know, dynamic terrain that you can destroy and blow up and actually use that to fight the monsters you're fighting. And that's all going to be actually positioned and rendered and built um, differently and exclusively each and every time you play through the game. So what better game then could you think of to have with you um, when you're going to get real bored real fast? You want to have a game that is as fresh as can be for as long as possible and having a game rebuild itself each time you play is just really cool in the first place and I think a staple for your des deserted island adventures. Alright. Drum roll please. Number one game of the top seven Desert Island Games for Peter Street. This may seem to go against everything that I've built so far in my logical progression here on this week's show. Um, this episode is, is all leading up to the number one pick, and before you throw me off the deserted island because it doesn't seem to match with the logic I've presented for these other picks, hear me out. Number one game for my top seven games to have on a deserted island is Super Mario Brothers 3. Yes, that's right. 
ladies and gentlemen, my number one game, my number one pick, is Super Mario Bros. 3. Why the fuck would I want to take a game we've all played, a game we've all beaten, a game that we could probably play blindfolded with me on a deserted island, and on top of that, why in the fuck is it my number one pick? Well, let me explain. Super Mario Bros. 3, first and foremost, is swollen, plump, and fat, like my penis, with nostalgia. <coughs> and when it comes to Super Mario Brothers 3, not only is it a very nostalgic experience and it will help me think of better, more beautiful times in my life, you know, times when I was actually not stranded on a deserted island, it is also my number one pick for this reason. I, Peter Street, am a bit of a competitor. And one thing I've always wanted to do, and I have never, and yes, I play World of Warcraft, and never had this much time to do, is get so good at a game that I can actually do a speed run. And this would be my chance. If I'm deserted on an island all the time in the world with the rules we started out at the beginning, and I have a Nintendo Entertainment System with a Super Mario Bros. 3 cartridge, I will be able to dedicate the time I need in order to be able to crack at a world record speedrun on this motherfucker. And I don't know if you've ever watched anybody do speedruns on this game, but it is a thing to behold. It's a thing of beauty. And... I really suggest now that you flip over to YouTube, do a search, you know, Super Mario Bros. 3 speedrun, and check it out, because these people are gods at this game. They're, they have refined perfection in play to an absolute art form, and this would be my chance to actually escape from everything and be able to get that good at Super Mario Bros. 3 that I can just bounce off you know, bombs and explosives in World 8, like, you know, I'm baking cookies with my mama. And that really, combined with the nostalgia factor, is the reason that it's my number one on the list. So, just a quick recap of this week's top seven lists. Uh, first of all, we got Dragon Age Origins, an excellent game going to have a lot of length, a lot of replayability. Uh, number six is going to be Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, also length and replayability, but not quite as scripted as the Bioware games, more, you know, open world concept with Bethesda. Number five is going to be any Pokemon game that's the latest. I want that in my pocket. Number four, Little Big Planet. Um, it's going to provide some creative outlet. It's got a nice tool set, let me create things. Uh, Contra for number three, because it's a fucking beast. It's a challenge. Um, number two, any Diablo game, because Diablo is different each time you play it. And number one is going to be Super Mario Bros. 3 for the nostalgia factor and the ability to actually develop my speedrun skills. So I guess that'll about do it this week for our episode of Blue Yonder. As always, if you have any suggestions, questions, or comments, 
We'd like to hear from you on our forums, and you can find those at www.baldmove.com. .com! Yes, I'm already splitting down the middle with my personalities. Or you can reach us at uh, 1-800-GO-STRAND-YOURSELF. And with that said, I am Peter Street. Ciao.